Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. There's been a surge in downloads for this podcast since the new year, and I love interacting with all the new listeners. It's definitely filled up the show's inbox. So what's the best way to answer a bunch of your emails? A listener question show, of course. And to help me out, I have some guests today the hosts of TK331 podcast, Thomas and Crystal. Thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Now, before we get to the listener questions, let me ask you a bit about your show and your history with Star Wars. Um, I have, I don't know, maybe the uh, youngest uh, history with Star Wars of the three of us here. I was introduced to Star Wars with episode one because I was a kid when it came out. Um, I was like nine uh, and I was really scarred by Qui-Gon's death. (laughs) Um, It was very troubling for me. I just remember driving home in the car afterwards and being like so enamored with the idea of laser swords and space and all of that stuff, but also being like really upset that a guy got stabbed in the stomach with a laser sword. Um, and I'm not quite sure exactly the timeline after that, except that at some point I saw episode two, I think after episode two was when I saw the original trilogy just on VHS. My dad had the special editions. I had actually gotten them for him as a gift as a kid. Um, but from there it was like all downhill. Like I started reading the EU books that were available at the time. So this would have been late 90s, early 2000s. Um, I I remember reading the Thrawn trilogy. I owned a lot of others, but I don't have super clear memories of reading them. I think Um, you've told me you were at the tape on Empire. I was what? You were were at the tape on Empire Strikes Back. Oh yeah, the VHS tape for Empire Strikes Back, it was destroyed (laughs) by my obsession. Um, and my, it was a, it was a long summer where like I watched that movie over and over again. And my mom thought that I had lost my mind. I think she was very concerned about me. So was my dad a little bit, but, um, and then I got away from star Wars for a little while. I kind of, uh, came back and started reading again, like later in life. Um, and over the last few years have been rereading, uh, or reading for the first time, in some cases, Legends books. Um, And I've kept up to some extent with uh, Disney canon, but much less so than Tom. (laughs) Take it away. (laughs) Uh, So I don't know exactly when I first saw Star Wars. Uh, I I do know as a child I had taped copies of the original trilogy. Uh, I I remember specifically they were taped because there were times back in the day when you were taped something, if someone accidentally, like, press mute, the tape would record no sound. So there was a moment when Han was talking in Jedi where there's no sound because one of my parents pressed mute accidentally. So (laughs) that's what I remember. I remember the special editions coming out in 97 uh, and being very excited about those coming out. When I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I got the uh, book on tape versions for for, um, Dark Empire and Dark Empire 2. That was my introduction to the EU. Uh, I read the Thrawn trilogy. I read the Jedi Prince series. Those, I think, were the first books I had read. Uh, and then it just kind of took off from there. Um, I read everything I could get my hands on uh, in the 90s. And then I would reread them again and again and again. Just on repeat. Yep. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, prequels came out starting in 99. I loved 
most of them I, I have my issues with uh, various parts of them but still really enjoyed them uh, kept reading through the New Jedi Order through uh, Legacy of the Force uh, and then in college I kept up somewhat but at that point you know we mentioned the Sith had come out um, Clone Wars hadn't quite released yet uh, and there was just a lot going on and I was a history major so I didn't have a lot of time to do other fun reading because I was reading at least one book a, re a week for my major um, so I kind of fell off a little bit after that um, but after college, uh, shortly after that, um, Star Wars was sold to Disney, and they said the EU was officially ending. So I said, okay, my goal has always been to read every EU story, so I'm going to sit down, starting with the very first EU book, and just read start to finish in chronological order. Um, did that over the next few years. Force Awakens came out, loved that, started reading the Disney books, and I've uh, loved most of those. At some point, we watched Clone Wars. We've now watched it a couple of times. Yeah. Um, we've watched Rebels a couple of times. Um, enjoying most of the Disney Plus shows, I think, and or Spectacular. I, I think they're really the only one we have been a huge fan of was Book of Boba Fett. Yeah. But we keep... <laughs> even that has moments. I, I always joke that, like, even if there's a particular Star Wars thing that comes out that I am not necessarily interested in because my um, tastes are... I don't want to say more discerning, but maybe more picky. I'm just more picky than Tom is. Um, I still end up watching them because, like, I live in a house with this guy, and like, what am I gonna do if he's watching Star Wars on a Wednesday night when a new show is out? I'm not gonna like walk into a different room. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, Thomas, you said that you want to read all of the old EU. Does that include the comics and the short stories and the it children's does. books and all of that? So the only things I haven't read that I can know of, um, some of the hyperspace stories that were available in the early 2000s have been really hard to track down. Um, I've found most of them that I know of, but I think there's a handful of those I haven't. Um, all the comics I've found, um, when, uh, Disney, sorry, when Disney bought the rights of Star Wars, um, Dark Horse had been the publisher for the comics for a really long time. And what they did right before they lost the rights is they had a special. It was like $200 or $300 for every comic, Star Wars comic they'd ever published. So I was like, that's an amazing deal. That's fantastic. I'm, I'm buying that right now. <laughs> Um, and so that, then I had access to all those. Um, eventually, they also, most, if not all, have been put on the Marvel Unlimited. Um, so that's a great way to read old EU comics if you're interested. That's 60, 70 bucks a year. I forget the exact price. But if you're interested in EU comics, I highly recommend Marvel Unlimited. It's a great place to read. If not all of them, certainly most of them. I think most people would skip the kids' books too, but you've done those as well. If I can find it, yeah. A few of them I had to scour eBay. But yeah, if I've been able to find it, um, even some really, even like there was a, there was a pop-up Star Wars book I remember that we, I got read and then gave to our nephew. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, I, for this show, I wanted to do all of the novels. Um, and on my spreadsheet, I figured that was about 176. And I went back to see how many I had actually read prior to starting the show. And in doing that, I had already read all except 19. So wow. it was wow. a combination of just wanting to talk about Star Wars and making myself want to finish those other 19 books. And, what were the 19 you didn't read? Um, list all of them off the top yeah, of your head I'd right have to now. get the spreadsheet back <laughs> out. But one of the ones I have not read is the last novel in the timeline, Crucible. Oh. And I've decided that the first time I read that is going to be the last episode of this show. 
Very if nice. I go the whole time, that'll be the last episode. Will be the first time I read Crucible, and I figure that'll be the way to to end the podcast. Uh, that's, and that's if I've it. got the math right, I believe that's late 2027. <laughs> so, so speaking of podcasts, what made you two want to develop TK33 Run? So I've th- there's a lot of uh, moving parts to this. It was during the pandemic. Um, kind of looking to help fill the time. I had gotten you to start, or I had gotten Crystal to start reading the EU. She'd, like she said, she'd read some of the books when she was younger, but she never read everything. And she wasn't going to read everything, but it's just kind of her giving the, the highlights, the important books, yeah, or things I was, that she'd be interested in. I was saying, like, okay, I want to go in order, in chronological order. Uh, pick the ones that you think either A, are good, B, are necessary, or C, that I would be particularly interested in and skip the other stuff. Because I, like, I mean, it's a huge library. Like, there is a certain amount of, like, you know, quality control (laughs) issues at various times. Um, So I I didn't have the um, fortitude to do a Tom read-through, a full read-everything thing. So you had been like guiding me on what to pick out for a while. Um, and then going back further than that, several years ago, you had read the entirety of The Wheel of Time. And that's kind of where the genesis of this idea really started because I had read the books before. And so she would read them. And then each night we would stay up far too late discussing <laughs> and talking about what she had read that night. And that was kind of, and so we, we, we love talking about stories that we consume, whether it's books, movies, shows, games. Yeah. Is there any other fiction we consume? I don't think so. No. Um, but yeah, we were already like, and because I was going through the cr- the chronology already, we were already like spending, you know, hours, not always hours at a time, but like hours and hours of me like frantically hypothesizing about what might come of something in the, in the Legends book that I was reading and uh, just like, just talking about it all the time. So yeah, during the pandemic, I said we I wanted to do something, and so I did yeah, maybe a podcast. Um, so I've been listening to a hockey podcast called the Puck Podcast for like 16, 17 years now, and I, I think as a sports fan, that's a it's a really great podcast to listen to if you like hockey. And I was like, well, I would love to do something like that, but well, I can't do a sports one or a hockey one because there is there's so much already out there. And in fact, I've actually guessed. Um, guested on a couple of duck shows over the years so i had a little bit of background from that i was like it's a lot of fun i would love to do this who can't really do this with well my wife she's not gonna do a hockey one with me she enjoys the sport but not like i do <laughs> yeah <laughs> star wars is would be the easiest thing but again there's so much star wars content uh out there and I, i'm a big fan of star wars explained they, they do a great job and there's so many other things just keeping up to date with the current star wars so i was like well what's something that i know really well and that crystal also knows well or could know really well the answer was Legends. Are there Legends shows out there like yours? Absolutely. But there's not the the glut of them the way that there is for new Star Wars content. So I was like, you know what? Let's talk about these old Star Wars books from 25, 30 years ago. And I kind of planted that idea in your head. And it took <laughs> and a I while like, to come no, around on it. No, no, thank you. I have a lot of other like projects. Like I'm a writer. I run a um, homebrewed Pathfinder game in my own world that I created. <laughs> so like I've already got a lot of um, creative stuff going on, and I was like, I do not, I don't have time for this. Um, <laughs> but eventually, 
it's not that you wore me down. It's just that you did plant the idea and it just hung out in my head for long enough. And finally I was like, okay, if you want to take on the responsibility of like editing, for example, because I definitely don't have time to do that, then sure, let's try it. Um, and when we started out, we weren't thinking, uh, I, I was not convinced that we were going to be at the place where we are now, which is like we have actually kept with it for two years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's been it's been fun. Yeah, our first episode was the Truce of Bakura. And initially, I was just kind of picking and choosing the books for the podcast like I was picking and choosing books for you. And then at some point, that stopped and just became every book. So we've got The Crystal Star about to come out. That yeah. fantastic novel. <laughs> <laughs> It's a fun episode, I think. Oh, I will be sending an email in before <laughs> the episode. Not in defense of what I believe is one of the more unjustly maligned stories in Legends, but just the reasons why I think it's better than what a lot of people think. We look forward to it. You know what? On a reread, I was like, you know what? There's actually a lot here to like. The storyline, especially with the kids, is really well done. And if there was more of that... I, I could have actually not loved the book, but liked it a lot more. I I ended up being like very mixed because through the first like 50 to 60% of that book, I was like, okay, I'm kind of interested. <laughs> I don't know what Waru is, but he is not boring. <laughs> and we're in this phase in like where we're, like what era we're recording in where things have gotten... We had planned Twilight before this, which is, I think, much worse. It's one of the most boring Star Wars books, which is, I, I hate to say that. But and, like, Children of the Jedi is also... It's a slog. Kind of a slog. <laughs> well, you're in that section of the Legends timeline on your all show where during that publication time in, like, the 93 to 97 range where there's just a lot of... Those are the stories when people in my opinion, like to uh, talk about how they just can't get into Legends. It's the stories in that time period because there are some really weird, really it's strange. Bag. And, you know, I admit it, there's some silly stuff in there that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. I've described it as the, the Wild West of Star Wars storytelling because people could do almost whatever they want. As long as they could get George to sign off on yeah, it. They, they couldn't kill, you know, Han, Luke, Leia. It had to be said after Jedi. But other than that, it was kind of like, well, I've got this idea. And George was like, yeah, go for that sure. idea. I'm fine I'm, with it. I'm going to make it irrelevant in about five years, but go ahead. <laughs> so in the process of doing the podcast now, you're two years in. Have you discovered things that you like that you didn't think you would? Or is there anything that you dislike out of Legends that you found out? I mean, I guess this is more of a question for Crystal since, Thomas, you've already read all <laughs> yeah. these things a multiple <laughs> amount of times. But, you know, some of that stuff can change. I'll say, personally for me, two books that I read that going into it, I did not expect to like at all. And I think they were the most surprising to me. I liked them more than, you, you know, I believed I would. And that was the MedStar duology. It's oh. MASH in space. I loved MASH. And even I'm a little young for it. It was a little before my time. I was born in 78. But I've seen MASH on rerun two or three different times. And that's what it is. So that surprised me. Is 
Have you guys had anything like that? The big one that comes to mind that surprised me that I liked is actually the X-Wing books because the first four Mm -hmm. are written by Stackpole. And prior to reading those books, I had read a different series by Stackpole, not Star Wars. Um, The Dragon... Crown War Cycle. Crown War Cycle. (laughs) And um, I didn't like those. (laughs) I actually got stuck halfway through one of them and didn't read anything for about three months as I was trapped in this, like, Dragon Crown War Cycle kind of uh, purgatory. I think it was Fortress Draconis that you got stuck in. Yeah. But when you picked it back up again, you liked the second half more at that point. Yeah. You stopped at the wrong time. It's so, like... It's so subjective with fiction because you can pick up a story that would be right for you, but it is the wrong time in your life to be consuming that story. And so it does not hit. Um, That might have been what happened with that series. I personally still don't love Stackpole's writing style. It can be a little like repetitive and brisk for me, but I thought he did a great job with those X-Wing books. And I loved so much that they took us away from the main trio, like I loved all of these new, like, Corrin can be a little hit or miss for me as a quote-unquote, like, main character. I feel like he's he's often the POV character in that series. But I I just loved the, the squad and their dynamics and this other side of the universe where it's not about the Force. I know that Corrin is eventually, like, revealed to be Force-sensitive, but that wasn't really the thing in those books. And I love that because I think we get really bogged down in just in the force and in the Jedi and in the Sith a lot in star Wars. Um, so that was surprising and delightful for me. <laughs> and now I feel like when, when a Stackpole book comes up, I'm like, okay, I feel confident that I understand what quality I'm going to receive here. <laughs> and you also liked Alston's Wraith books a lot too. Yes. Which were even more crazy. Yeah. They were really zany. But, like, I felt like the emotional arcs of the characters in those books really grabbed me. Like, their struggles and their trauma. And, like, when we recorded uh, (laughs) the book where... Iron Fist. Yeah, where Fanon dies. Mm -hmm. I was, like, it, it was still so moving to me that while we were recording, I was having trouble keeping my composure. Um so I very... still think that three-page section there between Face and Fanon of everything that I've read in canon, I think those three pages are the most beautifully written uh, of everything that I've read. I'd be willing to believe that. It's To me, it's easily top 10 SAS moment in the EU, if not top five, maybe even top three. I can, I can think of two things that for me definitely top it. And there's a couple others that maybe, but it is it's such a beautiful moment between them and... You yeah. don't expect it when you first start reading Raid Squadron. No. And then all of a sudden just punches right in the stomach. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I have emotions now. <laughs> so those were really great. I mean, uh, like, <laughs> I won't beat this drum ch- too long because I feel like every time we talk about stuff that I like and don't like, it comes up. But, like, the Thrawn trilogy was one of the things that I remembered reading as a child and loving. And it was such a relief to me that when we got back to it and did it for the podcast that it was still good. Like there were things that I, I didn't uh, remember very well and that I didn't love on that read through, but overall I loved that story. And of course 
Um, <laughs> I love Mara. I love Mara Jade. Um, but also Card and like Thrawn is obviously his own like just incredible entity. I don't know. It's hard for me to say that there's a villain that has ever topped Thrawn for me in Star Wars. Um, he's fascinating to me. One of the best. I don't want to be the person who um, <laughs> says what I don't like in Legends first. Have you come? So, like, it's your second time or third or fourth or 18th time through in some cases. Have you had surprises? Uh, <laughs> we always talk about this before we get to a new book. Um, I think the thing that surprised me is things like the Jedi Academy trilogy. Some parts of that I really, really love still, but there are parts of that that have not as have not aged as well as I had hoped they would. Um, and it didn't help that you had me just like... <laughs> not loving them. Like <laughs> yelling you, you, about you, it You really liked Jedi Search. You weren't a fan of Dark Apprentice. And then Champions of the Force, which is... It was better, but still not great. Yeah. I think, like, the way that the Force and the way that the Jedi as an organization are in the EU, in Legends, is not... It's just not my favorite. Like... I liked the idea of the Academy, um, the, execution. the idea of Luke rebuilding some kind of organization for Jedi or for force users. Um, I think they were, I, I think to some extent this isn't Anderson's fault and he was a little bit limited by the time he was working in because I know that Lucas really didn't want them to like stray too close into prequel territory, basically like don't talk about what came before. So like, how do you have Luke Skywalker build an organization based on basically nothing? Um, and the result is <laughs> the Jedi Academy trilogy, I guess. Um, I thought that, I thought that Stackpole helped that a lot in I Jedi. Yes. Even yes, though does. it's, it's a little bit of a, a rewrite of the events that transpire or just like a layering of events. Uh, and also, like, for other things, like, I remember I never really loved playing with Twilight. I, I do think it was even worse re this time around, just reading it even closer than I have in a long time, because, no offense to Barbara Hambly, but her writing style is very, very dry, dull. It's not exciting to read. I should at least feel some level of horror and disgust over the bugs. Oh, I felt disgust over the bugs. <laughs> but not the right kind of disgust that she was going for. You wanted to be more disgusted by the bugs? I so I, I still think about those bugs. <laughs> I, I can't, I can't like wait till Crystal gets to the Darkness trilogy. Oh, I can't God. wait till it. Oh, boy. What <laughs> I, um, I wanted to feel like I did in the Kratos trap. I wanted to feel that level of disgust um, and horror. Okay, well, you're not going to achieve that. I could not get in that book. Like, just this, this terrible disease that's just killing everyone. And Stackpole does that so much better than Hamley does. Kratos Trap was so good. <laughs> that Like, I mean, it was rough to read that um, during the pandemic. Yes, it was. But yes, it was. That's, I read a lot of um, weird, like, virus disease type like kind of horror fiction during the pandemic. And every time I was like, I don't know why I'm doing this to myself, but like <laughs> there's some outlet here that I don't understand why I need it, but I'm getting it anyway. <laughs> so I know early on in the podcast, you guys would say on the show that you read ahead some before the show actually comes out. So if you were doing the Kratos trap, if that's the show that was released, 
you may already have read up to a few books after that because of the way your recording schedule was going. Mm-hmm. Is it still like that? Yep. Uh, I just actually finished reading the second book in the Black Fleet Crisis, Shield of Lies, a couple days ago. And you're going to start that soon? Tonight, maybe? Tonight, if I get through Ula's tale first. Okay. Because that episode... So... I think what happens is we tend to usually be closer to the release date when we're recording our short story episodes, which happen on the second, um, third. no, third, uh, third Sunday of the month. Sunday? Yep. <laughs> it's embarrassing how little I know about the apparatus <laughs> of our podcast. I really just, Tom hands me a book, I read it, I put together my bad thoughts about it, and then I show up to record. <laughs> I listen to it after he edits as well. But um, yeah, so we're usually closer to the release date for our short story episodes because they're so much easier to record and they're so much easier to read for. Like the short stories can be like maybe only 20 pages sometimes. Yeah, most of the ones in Novel's Palace are all 20 pages, except I think the first one. Yeah, but for the novels, we tend to be really far ahead yeah the goal is three months right now we're only about two months ahead because things got crazy recently and i we try to do that because we neither of us ever know well tom knows his work has a particular surge season um over the holidays and so he knows that he's not going to be able to edit as much and then we never know with my actual work schedule if things are just going to be on so on fire for me that i don't have the like mental stamina to record a podcast on the weekend or a weeknight. Um, so we try to be really ahead so that if stuff like that happens, uh, we have a little bit of a buffer and we can still release on time and hopefully catch up. Yeah, like I said earlier, the the hockey podcast, podcast listed the book podcast, in the 16 years they've done this, they've missed, I think, only one or two shows. And that consistency has been huge for them in terms of <laughs> building this uh show and fan base so that's kind of something i'm trying to emulate of you know you aspire to that level of consistency yeah like if you can really do that over that long enough time that's a really impressive thing to do so you're saying we have 15 years to go give or take (laughs) they're still going strong today Uh... (laughs) well i don't envy you if you do plan on going that long i when i looked out and saw 2027 i was like yeah you know i started this in december of 2020 and when I mapped it out and saw the end of 2027, I said, yeah, it'll be good if I'm still doing this in July, you know, like six months. <laughs> yeah, from but it's, I mean, it's kind of getting over that initial hump of like, am I actually doing this? Do I really want to do this? And then you're like, oh, this is fun. And the momentum builds on itself. Tom has a spreadsheet that takes us through 2029. Um, <laughs> also ending with Crucible. Um, I don't look at that spreadsheet. It intimidates me. <laughs> But you're having fun right now, right? Yeah. yeah. Like when we sit down to record an episode, it never fails. Like it is it is a good time. Um, unless the the whatever we were reading was actually just really boring to us. If it's really bad, we can still have a good time recording an episode about it. Yeah. Dark Saber was one of the most fun episodes we did. Planet of Twilight <laughs> was one of the worst. Probably. One of the rougher ones, yeah. Well, of the three Callista stories... It's been a while since I have read them, <laughs> but I have I have read them twice. It's probably been 15 years since I read them. Darksaber was my least favorite of the three. Um, I'm not saying that either of the two Hambly books were one of my fa- any, any of my favorite books, but I did prefer those over Darksaber. So I got a kick 
out of your dark saber episode I have to say. that's good i mean there were parts of dark saber that i loved the dollar redemption tour was surprisingly yeah great. every time dollar was around um just like really yelling at other imperials it it was a good time <laughs> but yeah otherwise i mean i understand your point of view it makes sense <laughs> excellent well how about we answer a few questions from the listeners let's do it all right we're gonna take a quick break I'm Aaron Motes, and you're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and joining me today on this special pop-up episode are Thomas and Crystal from the TK331 podcast to help me answer some listener questions. So let's jump in. Question number one comes from Chris in the UK. Chris says, I struggle with a few legend stories as I just can't get past the canon and relate them as separate entities. Do you have any tips? Thomas, since you've read them all, I'll let you take this one first. (laughs) Uh, a couple of tips I can say. Uh, first, if you can, pick a legend story that has not been done under Disney, so it's Old Republic stuff, something that's just so different. That might help you. Uh, the other thing is, if you've ever read comics, Marvel, DC, and so many others, a big concept we'll see we're, also, we're seeing in the MCU right now is the multiverse. Think of these as multiverse stories. Here's one Star Wars timeline. Here's another Star Wars timeline. Or, you know, if there's a particular author who has written a Star Wars book you really like, Try their stuff. If you, you know, if you read the Dragon Card War cycle like Crystal, but you really loved it, try the X-Wing books. If you read um, the Thrawn Ascendancy trilogy under Disney, try the original Thrawn trilogy in Legends. Or just find something, like, if there's a certain uh, genre where you're like, you know, there's almost every genre has been done in Legends. There's even a couple of horror books, Death Troopers and, was it Red Harvest in the Old Republic? So think, find a genre like, the Legends has probably done it, and try that that book out maybe that'll help you get there what do you think um i put myself in what i call the fan fiction mindset for legends a lot of the time i accept that i'm reading an au of canon um i you know there there's a variety of success and failure with this sometimes i come across a particular little detail that makes me go i cannot put that aside like (laughs) It's just, it doesn't fit. Um, but I think it can help a lot just to like put yourself in the mindset of the writers, especially, especially in the era of like the nineties, they have such a limited text to draw from. They have the original trilogy. They have a holiday special, Yep. <laughs> which, you know, I haven't seen it, Someday so you will. I, can't, I can't really say anything about it, except that I know people don't like it. Um, 
the was the Ewok stuff out at that the point? Ewok movies, the droids cartoon, and the Ewok cartoon. And I think that's everything. So like put yourself back there mentally and think, what would I have extrapolated from this limited from these like six to seven hours of film? Um, what conclusions would I have come up with uh, about, you know, a big one is like about the timeline. When did the Clone Wars happen? Well, Obi-Wan looks like he's on death's door, even though he's, I guess, only about uh, 60. If that? <laughs> the desert aged him. So people like a big thing you see is people thinking like authors thinking that the Clone Wars happened a lot longer ago. I, I could see how they would think that considering how um how geriatrically vader and obi-wan move in their fight against each other in episode four um that's i mean that's what i do like sometimes you just can't and you just have to push through you just have to be like okay this doesn't make sense we're just gonna move on you know a couple years ago i tweeted pablo hidalgo and asked him a question about just that and he said that up until Attack of the Clones, everyone working at Lucasfilm at the time was working under the assumption that the Clone Wars had happened 35 to 40 years prior to the events of A New Hope. So even if the people in the company were <laughs> under the assumption that these were events that took place nearly 40 years ago, and then Attack of the, Clone co- Attack of the Clones comes out, and then all of a sudden they're like, oh, wait a minute. In four years, Luke and Leia are going to be born, and then they're 19 in A New Hope. So this timeline is a lot more. (laughs) Yeah, this timeline's a lot more condensed than what we thought at the very beginning. So I can see where that could be confusing to people who have never experienced Legends before, who their only experience with Star Wars is through the canon. Do you have any tips for the Aaron? Well, this is the one question that I included that I tried to answer myself on an episode a couple episodes ago. And I told Chris, try to think of two things. One, Legends is a mindset. Many of the things that Crystal was talking about, I said to Chris. I also said, for me, Legends is like the folklore that the characters within Star Wars believe about their heroes in Star Wars. So like, I can't remember the name of Broom Boy at the end of The Last Jedi, Yeah. um, but the kids sitting there playing with their figures talking about Luke Skywalker, to me, the legend stories are those stories that those kids are telling each other right there while they're playing with Luke Skywalker. So I think if you kind of go in like that or like Crystal's saying, if you kind of go in thinking of it as an AU, then it makes legends easier to understand. And much like you were saying, Thomas, there are stories for everyone in there if you really like the canon, if you really like the prequel films, if you really like the Clone Wars animated show, or Rebels. Some of the Legends books that came out in the early 2000s, like right after Revenge of the Sith, specifically the ones that deal with Clone Wars, 
a lot of those stories, I've read them, they just seem like episodes of the Clone Wars, you, yep. you know? And you can go into it that way. That's an, that's an entry point right there. Oh, yeah, I can see Ahsoka doing this. She never did it on the show, but I could see her doing this, you know? Or if you go, if you go far enough back in the timeline, one of my favorite legend stories is Into the Abyss. I'm so sad that um, it wasn't it like the last one. It was released. one of the last books, yeah. Yeah, before the Disney acquisition, and I, I wish we could have seen so much. More. It's so far back; it's like tens of thousands of years back that it, like the, the feeling of it being canon doesn't really matter because things could have been so different tens of thousands of years ago or like the Darth Bane trilogy um, hit or miss whether you're going to like reading a story from the perspective of like the baddest <laughs> bad uh, but it's it's so far back that it, it makes little difference about like it's not going to overlap with canon because they're so far apart it just doesn't matter or if you're a gamer, I highly recommend Knights of the Republic. It's still oh, my yeah. favorite Star Wars game ever made, full stop. Has it aged? Yes, but it still holds up surprisingly well. I mean, I played that for the first time... Five years ago, maybe? It was longer ago than that. Okay. Um, but I think it was like somewhere around like six to eight years ago. It was at our last apartment. I remember that specifically. Nope, it was at 44th, wasn't it? Wasn't. it? No. Okay. Well, my memory's bad. <laughs> Um, it was a, it it was in the 2010s yeah. that I played it for the first time. Is the system a little aged? Yes. However, I have a history with Bioware games, so if you also have a history with Bioware games, listener, you might like find it very familiar and easy to play, even though it's old. Like that is a great Star Wars story, and it's 4,000 years before the prequel trilogy. Um, so again, like. Anything could have happened back then, and people have misremembered it in present day. Yeah, it's all about entry points. Yep. If your entry point to Star Wars is the canon, if that's what you like, then great. The stories that take place in Legends after Return of the Jedi may not be the stories for you, and that's perfectly fine. Just go to the stories that happen that take place before that. Although, the X-Wing stories, we never know. I mean, that stuff could really still take place in the canon. It doesn't overlap much with the Disney canon. I think the only area where it wouldn't overlap is the taking of Coruscants doesn't match up. But everything else, yeah, absolutely could work. Second question comes from Jay Mellinger. I'm wondering if the novelizations of the original trilogy movies are considered legends or canon. What are your thoughts? Both. It's both. Technically, <laughs> I would argue they are more legends than canon because of when they're written and how they were written. What? So, here's what I mean. So the easy example, they didn't ask about this, but Revenge of the Sith. Ahsoka is not mentioned once in that book, which feels really, really weird. Her not be brought up. But that's up. not an original trilogy no, but novelization. Still, but it's still a novelization of one of the six movies that George did. Okay. And based upon the Clone Wars, it feels really weird for her not to be in that. So that feels much more like something for Legends than for Disney, even though Ahsoka does exist in Legends because the Clone Wars cartoon does exist in both timelines as well, the first six seasons at least. Technically. So to me, it is both, but they do lean more heavily Legends than canon because there are certain things and ideas that match up better with 
legends than it does with what Disney has done. Like there's been certain books like Brotherhood, for example, that tell certain stories and references that happen in the movies, um, like the Gundark pet. It specifically talks to references that, and there's a different story for that in the in Legends that matches up for that instead. So to me, the, the novelizations do better with Legends, but they are technically canon as well until there are new ones written, if ever. That makes sense. I think when it comes to the original trilogy films, one of the wildest things out there is the novelization of A New Hope came out in 76. It came yeah. out six months prior to the movie. So I do know and have spoken to a few people who read the book first oh, and then wow. went, into the, went into the film and was a little ticked off that they didn't see everything in the book in the <laughs> film. That's funny. We were just talking recently about how this used to be such a norm that a novelization for a movie would come out before the movie came out. And like, no one would ever do that today. <laughs> yeah, I, I read both Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in the weeks leading up to it multiple times because they came out before the movie. It's just such, it must be such a different experience. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I believe both the novelizations of A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back came out prior to the oh, films. Now, can you imagine oh, reading no. Empire Strikes Back before seeing the film, seeing wow. the ending? That surprised me just because George was so careful about who knew the truth about Vader. Because, like, on set, only he, Mark Hamill, and, like, one other person knew. I forget yeah, the director, was... Irvin Kirshner. Oh, yeah, right, it was just the three director. of them. Yeah, that surprises me. But well, I yeah, guess but... post-production of the film was such that, you know, post-production took six to eight months. And in that six to eight-month time after they finished principal photography, the book came out, like, two months prior to the film coming out. George was like, I know my fans. Nobody's reading books. <laughs> They'll never pick this up. <laughs> or I, I remember um, Marvel was publishing Star Wars comics at the time. And I, I don't remember exactly when this came out, but their first issue, Star Wars number one, the first like five or six issues are based on A New Hope. And in the first issue, Han is not Han. He is some kind of alien, because that was one of the original ideas for Han was to be an alien. <laughs> Yep. So they published this as Han was an alien, and because comics take such a long time to create, they couldn't uh, they couldn't change it to Harrison Ford in time. And I, I don't know exactly the t timeline of when this came out. I don't remember, but it's, it's really fun to read and really funny because of that. And then everyone was very surprised when it turned out that Han was actually Harrison Ford, <laughs> Dreamboat. If you really and you know to just go back real quick, specifically to Jay's question, for me. I think the novelizations, the parts where it matches on screen is canon. The parts yes. that aren't on screen, for me, it's just deleted scenes. So I don't really consider them legends. I just say, eh, it's a deleted scene, you know. Thomas, you were talking about the comics. Um, I think there's an issue of one of those old Marvel comics also where Chewbacca is the original Chewbacca from the Macquarie... Oh, uh, right. artwork, which is the artwork that they use then for Zeb in Rebels. I think that was the original Chewbacca in the in the comics. And also, I think there's a scene with Jabba as a different alien as well, because that was a scene that was cut from A New Hope, and we then see put back in for the special edition in seventy in ninety seven. But um, I forget what the alien species was, but it was something else. And the Kenobi novel actually references this change. Um, if you remember when we read Kenobi a while ago. 
there was an alien in there who said, I'm basically Jabba the Hutt when he's not here. That was the alien yeah. who was in the comic, and that was the retcon that uh, uh, Miller did for that to make it work. Yeah, it's the ape-like creature. I can't, yeah. I can't remember his name, but he, he they describe him as kind of like an ape-like thing, uh, what an ape is here on Earth, uh, an, an, an ape-like alien. So, yeah, Jay, just consider the parts that aren't in the books as deleted scenes. That's the easiest way I'd get over with. They also did release new versions of the original trilogy novelizations, but children's books, um, which are actually surprisingly good when I read them. Um, and they were called, like, the first one is called, like, the, um, the Princess, the Farmer, and the Scoundrel. Oh, those, yeah. And the, those, to me, are probably a little more true to canon than the original novelizations, just because they were published under Disney. But again, those are more children's stories. They are is simpler the right word for it. Um, yeah, they're kind of very streamlined. Yeah, that's um, a better word. Thank you. The, the cool thing I remember about the first one was just that we got a lot. We got a different perspective on the story. Like you see more from, I think, Leia's point of view. Yeah, they divided it into thirds where each third of the book is one of their points of views. I think it starts with Luke goes to Haunted Fishers of Leia or... Something like it, that. I read this so long ago. So that was like a, a fresh, like a refresh on the story, kind of. But I like this deleted scene idea. Just sort of like, <laughs> accept that uh, those things that don't match up, maybe, you know, they were, they were thoughts, they were ideas, but they didn't make the final cut. Um, and I think you can always just, you know, what does your heart tell you? Are they legends or canon? What do you want it to be? <laughs> Next question comes from Emerson in London. Emerson says, even though I love legends, I have an issue with the way is force, the way the force is used, which I think we've talked about that a little while here. I it feels like the force is always used as a get out of jail free card and isn't used with any intelligence or thought. I think Canon uses it more carefully. How do you feel? Crystal, since you <laughs> mentioned this a little while ago, why don't we start with you? So the thing about the force is that in either Canon, in my opinion, it's not a hard magic system. This means that it doesn't have clearly defined rules about how it works. We know that Jedi have stuff like telekinesis, um, unless you're Cornhorn. Um, <laughs> uh, they can influence people. It's like a bump to charisma if they wish to use it that way. Dark side users can, I don't know, for some reason, make lightning out of the force. Like that sounds really different from just like sensing people's thoughts, influencing people's minds and waving a lightsaber around and using telekinesis. So like, I, I agree with what Emerson's saying about uh, in a lot of stories and legends, it feels like the way that the force saves the day is not earned. Um, there aren't enough or significant enough consequences, but at the same time, the force is really loosey goosey. <laughs> it can do, it's kind of like hyperspace. Hyperspace takes as long as the plot needs it to take. The force in uncareful hands can do whatever the author needs it to do to make the plot work. Um, I've I, said, I, I've told people before that in legends, particularly in the 90s stories 
the Force, Luke is Mario from Super Mario Brothers, and the Force is the little box when he jumps <laughs> yeah, up to you know to, or to power up. Because every time Luke needs to do something else in Legends, somehow the Force allow, allows him to do it. It's a me, Lucario. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great way to think of it. Yeah, and it's true. Like, it, you just see what comes out of the box. It'll suit the plot, probably. Um, I do think canon, Disney canon, is maybe more consistent about how the Force is used. You can sort, like... I, w- I was thinking about, like, what wacky and zany things have happened in under Disney canon with the Force. One of the things that comes to mind is just the... Um, for Skype calls between Kylo Ren and Rey. Um, I can see how like that, that power could be an extrapolation of sensing other people's thoughts, but on a grand scale. And obviously in retrospect, we know that like Palpatine was involved with Snoke and blah, blah, blah. Palpatine like Luke in the nineties can do whatever he wants. (laughs) Apparently (laughs) he doesn't have to die. (laughs) He can do whatever. Um, But I, I do still think like stories with the force, whether canon or legends, are always going to push the boundaries because the boundaries I, I don't I don't see them. Like it, it's not a closed system. And so many different entities in the Star Wars universe use the force in different ways, like the witches of Dathomir. Even in canon, the witches of Dathomir are weird. Like what why does the force look so different with them? Um, we haven't gotten super far into this, or I haven't gotten super far into it, this, but like the adherence of the white current, they use the force in really strange ways. Um, so <laughs> I think the force is always going to be kind of, uh, regardless of which canon, wildly varying. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Like I said earlier, the nineties were kind of the wild west of Star Wars storytelling and authors were like, I've got this idea and George is like, great, do it whether or not it made sense or not. I think Disney, because they've got the story group that's in charge, is a little more consistent, like you said. But even they can have some crazy ideas. And I'm, I'm actually interested to see how, with this, because in the EU and later EU stories, thinking like the stuff with Avaloff and whatnot, there is a significant issue of power creep in the EU eventually. And I'm curious to see... <laughs> eventually. If, oh, yes, it gets, it gets much worse. <laughs> I'm curious to see if Disney has a similar power creep issue or if they do try and eventually kind of cap it off at some point. But that that remains to be seen if that happens or not. I I think... I need the force to just stop (laughs) at some point. Basically, galaxy-wide, the Salamiri just stop (laughs) the force and see what everybody does with that for a while. (laughs) I just think for Disney, because they've got the story group in charge... They're just more consistent, and if we see someone use one power, we're going to see someone else use one power. Like, we saw Grogu heal, uh, I think it was Grief in Mandalorian, and then we saw Ray heal Ben in Rise of Skywalker. So we're seeing force powers used by multiple people in multiple places, whereas in the EU, a lot of it was kind of like a one-and-done type thing, especially in the 90s. Eventually, we start seeing other characters pick up things, but it was a lot of, oh, I'm going to do this, and that's it. Healing with the Force has always seemed like this exists, like you just said, in canon. It also exists in Legends. I, oh, for, yeah. I forget the um, name of the Mon Cal who. Sigal. Yeah. Who heals. And 
I don't, it feels too it feels too close to like necromancy for me to match how a light side user should use the force so that has always seemed like a strange power to me i would suggest those medstar duology books that i was talking about oh. in the first part of the show um ahsoka's friend barris afi now this is of course before Barris Offy becomes what we know Barris Offy does in yeah. the Clone Wars television it's a show. Very different Barris Offy. <laughs> very different Barris Offy. A Barris Offy whose story I really liked in those books, but this is like her first time away from her master Luminara, and she's on the front lines using her healing abilities in the Force to help with the casualties that come back to this mobile infantry hospital. And that is a way, unlike Silgao, where I can see how a light side user uses healing powers with the Force. I think a lot of it comes down to the author and how they write it and describe it. Oh, yeah, because there's a, there's a definite rule of cool here, right? Yeah. Like if it if it works well enough, then you're not going to be too annoyed about the way that the force worked, which seemed incongruous with the rest of canon. I'm gonna have to check out these books <laughs> right over there. <laughs> Question number four comes from Jerry Bouch. Hopefully, I pronounced that correctly, Jerry. Obi Wan Kenobi is my favorite character in Star Wars. My question for you today is which books Kenobi is in and in what order do they fit into the Legends timeline? Also, are the Clone Commando books Legends? Well, I can answer the last one. Yes, the uh, Republic Commando stories, the Imperial Commando stories, they are Legends. Um, they were written in the mid-2000s um, by Karen Travis, I remember correctly yep um and they follow delta squad a squad of four clone commandos but yes they are legends and to add to that if i remember correctly the series was not finished was canceled prematurely but some of the storylines were picked up in later legends books in the uh legacy of the force right and after they were canceled um uh, you can go online and hear what Karen Travis thought about that. Uh, it's she did not have very many good things to say about that series getting canceled. It's uh, oh. it's kind of funny. Spicy. Yep. <laughs> now, as far as the Kenobi stories go, um, I haven't read them all. Thomas, you're you probably know a little bit more about this than I do. So it kind of depends on what kind of Kenobi story you're looking for. Do you want to see? him as an apprentice with Qui-Gon. Then there's the Jedi Apprentice series where he is 10, 12, 14, a long time since I've read these, but a kid, basically. Um, Qui-Gon's his master, and some of those are really good stories. If I remember correctly, at some point he even leaves the Order for a time and comes back to it. What? He was a teenager, okay. Was it because of Satine? No, I don't <laughs> think so. No, this these stories would have came out before... Um, the Duchess was was around, I think. Yeah. yeah, these would have been. Oh God, when did they come out? Sometime in the two thousands, before Clone Wars was a thing. Okay. And yeah, you know, th this is obviously set well before Episode One. And then there's a series. Uh, what are they called? Um, Jedi the Jedi Quest series, which is 
between one and two where he is the master, Anakin is the apprentice. And also in there is a Rogue Planet, which you really liked, Crystal. I did really like Rogue Planet. I don't know, something about the idea of a weird planet just sort of moving around in space. Yeah. <laughs> and that kind of follows the idea of him carrying Qui-Gon's lightsaber for a while before he eventually makes his own. And it, it, it's interesting. Series. Both of those are more children's series than full adult novels. Rogue Novel, though, is an adult novel, and that was quite good. Rogue Planet. Sorry, Rogue Planet. It is a rogue novel. Yeah. <laughs> I suppose. Um, other books he's in, Outbound Flight, although he's not a main character in that. But that was uh, just quite a, good. Just a thorn in Palpatine's side. Yeah. <laughs> um, plenty of prequel era books he is in. Um, depending on how you feel about prequel era books, um, you might really love those. You might really not. Uh, you've got Kenobi by John Jackson Miller, which is, I think, for our money, one of the best books we've read for the podcast so far. Yeah. It's fantastic. If you haven't read that, highly recommend. Um, he's in a number of, also a number of comics in the Clone Wars and post-Clone Wars era. Um, the Approaching Storm, which is like a prequel to episode two. There's a fun scene in there where he's riding, I don't remember what it was, some kind of animal. And he is having a grand old time and Anakin just hates it. He's not even having a grand old time. He's taking a nap because he's so in tune with living things like organics. And Anakin is over on his steed just sort of like flapping his elbows around <laughs> wildly. <laughs> like, I wish I had a droid. <laughs> uh, he's in Labyrinth of Evil, which is the lead into Revenge of the Sith and Legends. Um, lots of prequel era stuff. And yeah. if you're interested in any canon stories, um, Brotherhood, Padawan. I really liked Master and Apprentice. And Master and Apprentice were all three really good books. Um, because I I liked the conflict between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon in that book yeah, a lot. Claudia Gray has been one of our favorite authors to come out of Disney, I would say. Yeah. She does a really good job, and Master and Apprentice is... I wouldn't call it her best book, but it was a really good one. One of my bad opinions, I guess, about Star Wars is Mastered Apprentice is one of the very few Claudia Gray books that I didn't get into. And it had nothing to do with the part of the story with Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan's philosophical debates over the Force and the Council. It's the main plot of the book that just didn't get with me with Rael Avaros and his, the little princess that he is looking over. I don't know. Just something about that didn't get with me, but I will admit the philosophical debates between Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are interesting in that story. Uh, two other books in legends, as, as Thomas said, any of the prequel era books will have Obi-Wan in it at least 95% of them, he'll be in there somewhere. He may not be the main character, but he'll be in it. The Clone Wars Gambit duology that I recently read, and I recently read for the first time, I liked both of them. There was a lot of philosophical debate in that between Obi-Wan and Anakin. So if you liked some of that conflict, particularly from Revenge of the Sith, now these stories took place... I believe six months prior to Revenge of the Sith. There's a lot of that conflict in there. And Crystal, we learn of, at least in the Legends timeline, a different person that Obi-Wan had a little bit of a tryst with back yep. when he was a Padawan. Uh, it doesn't go figure. nearly in depth, but <laughs> she's there. 
Everyone wants a piece of you, McGregor. We get it. I mean, he's yeah. like Harrison Ford, right? <laughs> he's the Harrison Ford of the prequel trio. Some people would argue Hayden is. No, no, no. one's arguing that. <laughs> I do not understand how you put Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman on a screen together and somehow they have zero chemistry, but it's true. And it makes him... <laughs> It makes him less attractive because he's so him and Natalie Portman are so lacking in chemistry during those movies. Uh, that's maybe one of my bad opinions. I don't know. <laughs> pa- parts, parts of those two films can be rough, I think. And <laughs> it depends on I the scene. Believe the romance is, for me is the roughest part, and it's not that I don't want romance in Star Wars. I do. I enjoy seeing romance. I don't understand the romance between those two. I can see the obsession from Anakin's point of view. I have no idea what Padme sees in Anakin. And from just what we see on the screen, I don't see what Padme sees in Anakin. I have only one theory, and it's weak, and I have pretzled myself to make it. My theory is and I don't think that anyone who wrote the movies put this much thought into it either. So this is just my way of retconning it. Padme is not very emotionally mature, in my opinion. And it's because she devoted so much of her very early young life, the time when teenagers are typically having those first relationships and making mistakes and learning from them, instead to government and democracy and politics. So she's very intellectually mature. She's very smart. But emotionally... She's not very wise. <laughs> so this is the first time that someone has like relentlessly maybe pursued her. And she hasn't had enough previous relationship history to see all the red flags in it. And so she gets caught up in it and goes along with it. And he's powerful. And, you know, by some standard, he's good looking and he's very devoted. And if this is your first big relationship then those all look like incredible things that can kind of sweep you off your feet um but if it's a later relationship and you've had the previous experience you would be like why is this guy already at 100 when like we haven't seen each other in 10 years that's my that's my explanation so what you're saying is we need a romance between padme and rush clovis a book set prior (laughs) to attack the clones yeah (laughs) (laughs) So that would be rough. (laughs) At least it would show her having one other adult romantic relationship. Yeah. I think that's what she's, what she's missing. All right. She's got her mind on so many other things. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, she does. Final question. And this one might be more for Thomas than it is for Crystal. I don't know how far Crystal has, knows about the new Jedi order, but, uh, It's just a question that I think I need to put on the show because I'm about to start the new Jedi Order here coming up uh, in a couple episodes. I'm jealous. I wish I was there. (laughs) Friend of the show, Rusar Vareth, writes in, I was reading about the unfinished Clone Wars arcs the other day, and it got me thinking how insane it was that the Yuuzhan Vong almost made an appearance in the show. Do you think they still have a chance to show up in canon in the future? And if so... How would you like to see them introduced? Uh, so for me, the New Jedi Order outside of the original trilogy is my favorite storyline in Star Wars. 
I think it's so wonderful, so heartbreaking, so emotional. A lot of people always ask you what your favorite Star Wars book is. And for me, having read them all, that's a really hard thing to answer. But I've got a very easy answer to what is the most impactful book I've ever read, and that's Vector Prime. Because I have never had a Star Wars book just shock me so much. Um, if you've read the book, it's the moon scene, of course, is what I'm talking about. Uh, Crystal knows this because... Yeah, this is the one thing I know about this era <laughs> of the EU. <laughs> so th that book just impacted me in such a way that no Star Wars book had. And, you know, Thrawn Trilogy, X-Wing books, plenty of other things have been up before them that had a big impact on me, but nothing li quite like that moment did. So to me, that's the most impactful Star Wars book I've ever read. And I just love that story so much because the Vong are so different, so alien because they are from another galaxy and they they aren't in the force the way the Jedi expect them or know them to be. And I think it's just an interesting look at uh, a completely different villain than we've ever seen in Star Wars. So I, I really love them. And I, I wish we could have seen them in Clone Wars, mostly. There's also a part of me that worries they would have changed things a little too much for my liking because the Clone Wars show did have a habit of doing that to certain EU stories, so I'm a little torn on that, but I still would have overall liked to have seen them. And the Asper introduced them to Disney, I think there's definitely a way someday. I don't think it should be done soon, because I think the thing that makes the long interesting is their conflict with the Jedi, because they are such opposing ideologies. And right now... There's no Jedi. Yeah. You've got <laughs> Rey, you've kind of got Finn, you've got Broomboy, kind of. You don't have a lot... Um, I'm sorry, is that what he's known as? Yeah, broom boy. He does. He has a name. Uh, people, you, you know, I'm sure Alex and Molly know what yep. his name <laughs> is. Uh, he's a trivia question. I don't really get too much into Star Wars trivia, so <laughs> I don't remember his name. Everyone just calls him Broom Boy. <laughs> I just I don't participate a lot in the circles online, so I'd never heard him called Broom Boy before today. It's kind of cracking me up. <laughs> So, yeah, we don't have a lot of Jedi except for them. <laughs> so assuming Rey, it, with the books and other things, are able to rebuild the Order eventually, down the line, I would love to see the Vong introduced because, again, I want to see that ideological difference. But right now, with so few Jedi in the galaxy, I don't think it would work or be as impactful as it was with the new Jedi Order. I think you have to wait and give it time, but I would love to see it happen someday. So I did not know that this was even a consideration. And I went and looked up what Rusar was referencing. I think it was season nine they were talking about, maybe? Right. And there's just a small little three-sentence blurb on Wikipedia about it. And it's basically Pablo Hidalgo saying that they were spitballing ideas. This didn't even make it to animatics. You know, people have seen some of the unfinished Clone Wars arcs online, the animatics. This was just spitballing and if they were to use the Yuzhan Vong they were not going to use the part that you're referencing Thomas that basically the Jedi have a difficult time sensing them in the force this was not going to be part of it I think the people I've talked to that have read the new Jedi Order it's like 65-35 people really really like it or really, really don't like it. And there's no middle ground. There's no uh -oh. just, yeah, those were fine. You know, it's either they really liked it or not. And I yep. think it's because of the Yuzhan Vong. They don't like the way 
the force interacts with the Yuzhan Vong, and I think they don't like at times how sadistic the Yuzhan Vong they go pretty are. far, yes. Yeah, they they kind of go over the top. Um when you want to talk about pain and death. They and actually remind me of like the Yavetha a little bit in the Black Fleet Crisis. Like the Yavetha also go pretty dark at times. A little bit. The Yuzhan Vong are like the Yavetha turned up to 11. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. So do I think they would use the Yuzhan Vong in the future? Uh, yes, I could see that if we are to go by what that idea was. I think that's how they would go. I don't think there would be something to where the Jedi could never sense them in the Force uh, the way that they can't at the beginning of the New Jedi Order series. Um, I think the Vong would most likely be used in a medium like the comic books or a video game if, you know, the video games that come out or a book. I'm not sure we would see them on screen, though. I think they might just be a little too weird for that. I think not just too weird, but like you were saying, a little too sadistic for live action. Animated might work, but yeah, seeing all their uh, intentional disfiguration uh, in live action would be would be a lot. Yeah. Both of um, your answers have surprised me just based on what the limited amount that I know about the Vong. I I assumed like Disney will take whatever it can use from Legends. So I assumed like, I don't know, first order's out of the way, Empire's gone, maybe the Vong are next. <laughs> I do see if they are used, that's how I see them though. I see them as an invading alien force. I can see it like that. I just I'm not sure the force would be used in the same way with the Vong in canon as it was used in the new Jedi order series and legends. Yeah. And that could be a cool opportunity because it could be an opportunity for us to get really far away from the force and the Jedi and the regular people of the galaxy dealing with such an overpowering threat. Yeah. That could be interesting. Yeah. Perhaps. Ooh. I just thought of something, and I'm not sure I like it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Always the question. Do I like this? <laughs> yeah. Um, judging from the Thrawn novels in canon that I have read. Now, I have not read the Chiss Ascendancy ones. I've read the first Highly three recommends. Thrawn novels. Well, i got to get through all these Legends books first, man. <laughs> yeah. I, it's, it's hard to keep reading back and forth. Yeah. Um, the Chiss keep talking about threats in the unknown regions and in wild space. Um, there is one alien species in that book that begins with a V. I can't remember what it was in, in that original Thrawn trilogy. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the vagary, the, the vagary, something, something like that. that. Something like yeah. that. Um, and we know in legends in the later books that Zahn wrote, basically the alien invasion force that the Chiss were talking about in the unknown regions are these Yuzhan Vong. That's basically what it was. So maybe when in the Ahsoka series, if we see her meet up in the unknown regions with Thrawn and whatever he's doing, <laughs> could we learn more about the Chiss and 
what they're trying to protect the galaxy from? I think you're half right, but I think the species has already been chosen based on the Ascendancy trilogy. Okay. Uh, I'm going to trust you guys know that because I don't. And like I said, even though it popped in my head, I didn't like it. I, I, I did not want it to be the Vong that way. I wouldn't mind the Vong. Like, if they don't want to do from another galaxy because that might get a little weird. If they wanted to have something from the unknown regions or wild space, I would be okay with that. So that could be an avenue, but uh, there's a there's a different species, I think, that if, if they bring it in, I'm not, I'm not convinced they will, but if they bring it in they from the Ascendancy Trilogy, they're called um, the Grisk as uh, who they could use. Okay, you're right. I do remember them, the Grisk. I remember them mostly from that second Thrawn book. Was that uh, yep, Thrawn Alliances? Alli- yep. Which, yeah. of the three, I thought was not very good of those <laughs> first three books. Um I, I thought, the, I, I thought the first one was fine. One big fan of alliances. I, I thought treason was pretty good uh, of those three. I really liked the first one, especially the end when Thrawn looks at Palpatine. He's like, what's the Death Star? I'm like, wow. <laughs> you just came out and say it. Um, alliances, I wasn't a huge fan of the formats. Um, it, the splitting between Clone Wars and present day. I loved whenever Thrawn was with Anakin or he was with Vader and he was kind of piecing and figuring out who this person was. And... I love Padme. I think Zon writes Padme really well, but her story in the book I thought was the weakest part of it, which I hate to say. Um, and then Treason, um, I remember what I really loved about that book is I think that was one of the best examples I've seen in text yet of how th- how good Thrawn is at uh, how good he is in a fight. I thought it just did a great job of explaining what he was doing and how he was doing in a way that most of Zon's other books haven't done. So I remember really liking that about Treason. I think I liked Treason the best of those three, too. Like, I really liked those three books on a first read, and when I reread them relatively recently, within the last couple of years, I was not as sold on them. Like, I much preferred the Chiss Ascendancy stuff. Eh, I like Weird Aliens. Not surprising. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we would definitely recommend the Ascendancy novels. The first one, especially, there was a lot to get through and to get into. Oh, my into. God, the names. Oh. Zahn, please. Why so many apostrophes? God, <laughs> and they all like have to slightly change just a little bit if they, their position changes in some way. And Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Basically, you need to be in a specific mindset. But, um, you know, a question occurred to me a few minutes ago while we were talking about the Vong. So I know very, very little about them. Mm-hmm. I know that they're like... They don't use technology. Yep, they're organically based, Basically. even their ships. They come from another galaxy. Mm-hmm. How the heck did they cross all of that empty space between galaxies? How long did it take them? A while. They do talk about that in the books. Okay. I'm glad that that's addressed. <laughs> I was just thinking about these very sadistic aliens stuck out in nothing space. Basically just empty space for generations upon generations. Like... Oh, maybe my great, 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 great grandchild will make it to the great conquest of Palpatine's galaxy. <laughs> Pretty much. Okay, cool. I, I'm much like Thomas. The New Jedi Order is my favorite storyline in all of Legends. Um, it has my favorite Legends character, Legends only character, Nominor. Oh. I love He's a Nominor. Villain. Love him. And he is someone that I would love see to see come into canon. Now, I don't know how you would do that and not bring the rest of the Vong, yeah. but just 
I love him. And I love his character development throughout those 19 books. Yeah. He's, in some ways, almost like Palpatine, just like he's a schemer and always trying to figure things out. But he doesn't have the power of the galaxy the way Palpatine does. Mm. So it's almost like watching Palpatine trying to work his way up in some ways. That's kind of how he's like in some But he's also just so different. He's fun. Yeah. It is. Terrifying. Before I let you go, uh, I wanted to ask, what is it that you want to see out of Star Wars going forward? Whether it be in the short term or the long term, what kind of stories do you want to see? Could be screen, could be books, could be comics, could be video games. What is it that you want to see? I mean, this is a, a kind of flippant short answer. I can't, uh, because I haven't read them, I'm excited to get to an existing story, the Vong, and just see what happens there. Um, but in in like the canon moving forward, um, I have really liked, even though they exist in an era where I don't really want to keep exploring things anymore, I have really liked the Star Wars stuff that has gotten us away from the force and the Jedi. Um, I really love seeing what the rest of the galaxy looks like away from the lens of the light side and the dark side and the Jedi and the Sith. Um, Andor was good for this for me. To some extent, Mandalorian. Eh. <laughs> Slowly getting more and more towards that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I would love more of that kind of story in that just exists in this galaxy, but is away from this, you know, these big grandiose conflicts. I think a thing that, uh, it's not just Star Wars. This is fiction in general. Long running properties have an escalation problem. They have a, a one-upmanship in terms of like the size and scale of the conflict. Um, and I would love them to just, you know, they're releasing so much stuff. They've got so much room. They can scale it back for a few stories and have something very small and localized that is still meaningful to the characters that inhabit that space. I think that's what I'm, that's what I'm looking for. So more indoor. Yes, but I, I started to say this earlier. I'm, I'm done with the Imperial era. <laughs> like I'm over it. <laughs> it's a combination of like what's coming out now in Disney canon and what we've been reading in Legends. I'm like, get the Empire out of here. We've had enough of them. <laughs> Let some other villain come up. Fair enough. Uh, there, the, I've got a very long answer to this, but I will keep it short and sweet. Um, I want to see things after the Rise of Skywalker, um, but stories told with the sequel characters coming back. I don't want to wait 40 years for Daisy Ridley to return to Star Wars. I want to see what Ray does now. Um, I want more video games from Star Wars. Um, that's one of the things that Disney has really failed is on the video game front. Fallen Order was great. Survivor looks fantastic. But we haven't had a Knights of the Old Republic uh, style RPG. Give me something like that. Yeah, let Bioware redeem themselves and make a game. Yeah. <laughs> Just one game. <laughs> uh I am a big fan of the High Republic. Um, I'd like to see more books. Just get, like the reason I love the High Republic is because it reminds me a lot of the EU in the 2000s. It is telling impactful stories that are connected to each other in an ongoing, meaningful way. So I want more books like that, and so I'm, I'm digging the High Republic because of that. 
Uh, and then uh, finally, this is something I've won for a very long time. Give me a Legends animated series. I don't need a perfect one-for-one -one adaptation. That doesn't work. But you know what? The Legend of Vox Machina season two just came out on Amazon, and that does a great job of putting hundreds of hours of tabletop RPG into a short 12-episode season. I would love that kind of adaptation for Legends. That would be cool. Hmm. As for me, uh, I share a lot of the sentiments with Crystal. Um, I've said this on the show before. The older that I got, the less interested I became in Force lore. I think it started with the 90s Legends books. I think it can it definitely continued through the prequels. Um I, I you know, it's not a secret. I've said before, I had to take a break from Star Wars after the prequels. Um I've gained an appreciation of those movies. I still don't think they're good, but <laughs> I have gained an appreciation for the story in them. And even, you know, some of the more fantastical parts of the Clone Wars, Rebels, you know, the Mortis arc. The I was about world. to say, the Mortis trilogy. <laughs> I love Rebels until those last four or five episodes. You know, I'm, it, it's just too far fantastical for me. That, But, but and here's where I'm going to completely contradict everything I just said. <laughs> I want to see a Star Wars story with a Jedi and his or her or its Padawan doing what I think the Jedi were always meant to do, which is just basically traveling the galaxy and helping people on a small scale. They realize there's something going on on a town, on a planet, and they go in and they help fix it. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a small little warlord in that country or that city or whatever. Uh, if you watched Star Wars Visions, the one mm -hmm. episode, The Elder, was kind of like that. Yeah. My favorite episode of Visions was um, the Village Bride one. That was kind of like that. That's what I want to see out of Star Wars. I don't want to see, personally, the Jedi as an institution. I want to see the Jedi as individuals helping people boots on the ground style, you know, not sitting up in their literal ivory tower trying <laughs> to figure out where the most important things are for them to do, but just getting out amongst the people. That's what I imagine mm -hmm. Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan did. I haven't seen all of those stories I don't know if those stories exist because I, Thomas, I haven't read the young reader books of Legends. I would say some of the young reader books definitely do some of that. Um, but just like every other thing, there's always that escalation issue of it has to get bigger and bigger each time. But there are a number that definitely do, would scratch that itch. Um, even parts of the High Republic would scratch that itch. Uh, what was the young reader one in phase two? When they went to that one, the weird planet, the, the twin planets. I'm still in phase one, so don't, <laughs> I'm still in phase one. The planet, was it Planet X? Or, I don't remember. Yeah, yeah. Some, some of the higher Hollywood books are, 
they definitely are much grander scale, but that I feel like that uh, right. element and want is at least there in the High Republic. But that's that's kind of what I want. I just want to see a Jedi and a Padawan, maybe two, maybe two Jedi and two Padawan, just basically roving their small little area of the galaxy, helping the people in that little area of the galaxy. That's actually a little Bad Batch-ish, I would say. No. No? No. It's not, it's not a Padawan and a Jedi, but, you know, it's a group of clones roving the galaxy. They're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> They're wandering around, getting lost it's on planets. I don't know. I, I think I think for me the Bad Batch is just our viewpoint of how the Empire has started uh, yeah. oppressing the galaxy. Yeah. Uh, we see it, obviously, as it goes forward into Andor, but yeah. that's a lot further on down the timeline than the, what, I think Bad Batch Season 2 is only, what, two years after the, the fall? The, the first year of if the Bad that, Batch was yeah. the first year. Now now we're in the second year. Yeah. So. Well, Crystal, Thomas, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Before we wrap up, why don't you go ahead and plug your podcast again. Tell us about TK331 and how the listeners can contact you if they want. We are TK331, a Star Wars EU slash Legends podcast. Uh, we are on Twitter at TK331 podcast, although we don't do a ton on there. Um, new episodes come out every uh, first and third Sunday of the month. First Sunday is our uh, novel episode. Um, we have the Crystal Star coming out in April, and then in May we are starting the Black Fleet Crisis with uh, Before the Storm. And then the third set of every month uh, is our short story episode. We are currently reading through Tales from Jabba's Palace. Uh, Ula's Tale is what's coming out in April. And I don't remember what's out in May at this point. Do you remember? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we do two episodes a month. Uh, and the occasional bonus episode, sometimes we will read a comic. Um, we had an episode last year where we were talking about uh, Thrawn in the both Disney versus uh, Legends and how he's used or how he works better where he works better. Every um, Halloween, we do a Galaxy of Fear book. Yes, we just started that this past <laughs> year. Um, those are fun children's stories. Uh, oh, you forgot You forgot the star of the show is Crystal ripping the book. That's <laughs> the best part of the show. We should, you know, truth in advertising. I do not always like these books, and I am not quiet about it. <laughs> I don't always either, but I am more, I'm more likely to have liked it because I've read them... So many times, like t to me, like they read it once 20 years ago and then didn't read it again until today. Some of these I would not like, but because I read them 20 years ago and then 18 and then 15 and then 10 and then five, because I've read them sometimes, there's enough nostalgia bias for me to find something I still like in these books. I'm a, I'm a kind of cynical, pessimistic person and I love to find what I don't like in the books and really just hammer on it. <laughs> but then when they blow you away, like say Tatooine Ghost or Kenobi, oh, yeah, or the yeah. Thrawn trilogy. Then I then I gush about them for a long time. <laughs> it's a long podcast um, in the sense of our episodes are typically, you know, like two hours or more long. So more we, truth in advertising. Have we hit the three-hour mark yet? I think Dark Saber was very close. Yeah, I don't. I don't want to know. <laughs> well, I will say this as an audience member. The discussion is really entertaining. And any criticisms, Crystal, that I've heard they're fun, but they're not mean-spirited. I mean, you're not ripping the author just to rip the author. Yeah. You do have 
valid points on what you like and what you don't like. I'm glad you think so. Yeah, thank you for that. <laughs> I appreciate the validation. Sometimes I do feel like I'm being mean, and I ask Tom to take stuff out. Um, so there is a little bit of self-censorship. I mean, I I'll see how I feel about it after I hear you talk about Vonda McIntyre and the Crystal Star, but I'll, I'll reserve think, my judgment to that. You know, I don't think you'll be too upset, actually. <laughs> I, I don't think we had an issue with, like, her writing. It was more of the story where it went. Yeah. I guess you'll have to listen and see. Oh, it's out there. It's one of the weirder ones. I, I know. Uh, is it? Yeah, thank you so much for having us on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, this was sure. great. Thanks. Once again, thank you very much to Crystal and Thomas of the TK331 podcast. If you're a Legends fan and want a deeper look at the stories of the Legends timeline, please give TK331 a listen. I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And now coming up next on the Star Wars Legends Lounge, we'll be starting The New Jedi Order, a 19-book series telling the story of a new terror, an alien invasion on the scale never before seen in the galaxy, and how the first generation of students from Luke's Jedi Academy responds to that threat. Now, with a 19-book series, I think listening only to my voice would get a little boring, so to help me out, I'm inviting five friends to the podcast. I'll be discussing the NJO with Kat, Justin, Matt, Cav, and Scott on a rotating basis. I'm really excited to get their opinions on these stories. And it'll all start with Vector Prime. So join me and my co-host, Kat, on Friday, April 14th. Now, if you have a question or comment for the show, you can send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Thank you so much for listening to this special episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.